0: Hello and welcome back to the Interlude podcast. I'm your host Dr. Eleonora Tsplanski. On this podcast, I share the journeys and stories of women who are living with cancer. Today's guest is Vanessa Style. Vanessa was diagnosed with thyroid cancer at the age of 26. It is now 6 years later and she joins me today to share how her perspective on living has changed since the diagnosis, how she made a career change, how she is focusing on nutrition, lifestyle, wellness, and healthy living. She is doing so much amazing work in advocating for the cancer population, and I really hope that you enjoy my conversation. Welcome, Vanessa. So welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. I am here with Vanessa Style, who is a thyroid cancer survivor, and she has graciously uh, agreed to join me today to share her story. So Welcome, Vanessa. Hi, thank you, Dr. Toplinski, so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So can you start by telling the listeners a little bit about who you are, what your cancer story was, and what life looks like for you right now?
1: Sure. So in 2013, I was 26 years old, and I went to my gynecologist for what I expected to be a routine annual exam. I had gone to that practice before, but it was actually the first time that I had seen this particular doctor. And uh, before we even started the exam, he asked if he could perform a neck check, which caught me completely off guard. But I agreed. I figured, okay, that's great. He's really thorough. And after he did the neck check, he asked if anyone had ever told me that I had a nodule on the right side of my thyroid. And at first, I was shocked by the discovery, but I wasn't particularly alarmed. My grandmother at that point was in her mid to late 80s, and I knew that she had a benign thyroid nodule that got discovered later in life, and they just followed it with a routine uh, neck ultrasound. So he recommended that I go for blood work, a neck ultrasound, and just as a precaution, make it. A consultation appointment with an endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. So I left his, appoint- his meeting that day. And the next day, I scheduled an appointment for blood work, followed by a neck ultrasound the day after that. And the gynecologist had called me when he received the blood results a few days after both of those tests. And he said that I had subclinical hypothyroidism, which meant that I would eventually need a daily synthetic thyroid hormone replacement, otherwise I would suffer the effects of hypothyroidism, which I wasn't suffering at the time, and that the ultrasound showed I had a nodule that was greater than one centimeter. So he said it was good to see the endocrinologist and that I would likely need a fine needle aspiration biopsy to rule out any suspicion of thyroid cancer.
0: And how old were you at this time? I was 26. And so what... Did you think it could be cancer or did you say, okay, I'll just get a biopsy, it's gonna be nothing? What's going through your mind at that time?
1: I was definitely surprised when he found a nodule. I didn't have any symptoms. I, nothing led me to believe that there was anything wrong. I didn't have a history of any thyroid disease or cancer in my family, aside from my grandmother's benign nodule that developed much later in her life. Um, so at first, yeah, I was definitely shocked that he found something. Uh, but otherwise I kind of put it out of my mind for a little while uh, until probably until the neck ultrasound. That was when I started getting a little concerned that, well, you know, maybe it could be something and what would be my next steps. And yeah, that was probably the point that I, I started panicking. How did you cope with that panic? It was really tough. I think knowing that I had the appropriate doctors lined up knowing that I, I did already have that consultation with the endocrinologist, like my gynecologist had recommended I get on the calendar. So I think I just tried to stay positive and kind of tried to just tell myself, well, it's likely benign. Um, at the time, I was introduced to a couple other people that also had thyroid, had thyroid ultrasounds and found out that their nodules were benign. So that kind of put my mind at ease a little bit.
0: It's really important, and I tell this to everyone to have a plan, so you know you knew okay I'm going for to meet with the endocrinologist. This is going to happen next, and I think that can be very calming or very ease some of that stress that people go through
1: right I was once I met with the endocrinologist his I remember immediately like he wanted to put me on synthroid, a daily synthetic thyroid hormone replacement because he felt that I had subclinical hypothyroidism, and eventually. I would need to be on it anyway. And I remember I was very emotional. I didn't like the idea of having to take any medicine. I mean, I won't even take an Advil really for a headache. So that was a difficult conversation because I I just felt like, well, okay, why don't we just wait and see how this all shapes out? And he was okay with that. Um, Mm -hmm. But then when he sent me for the fine needle aspiration biopsy and it revealed that I had a diagnosis of papillary thyroid carcinoma, um, I had to be on, on Synthroid. And how did they tell you the news of the biopsy results? I remember waiting for what I felt like was a really long time. I, I think it took maybe a week to get the results back. And I remember I was calling the radiologist's office that I had gone to, and I was also calling the endocrinologist's office. Cause at that point I had already had the initial consultation with the endocrinologist and nobody was telling me anything and I was getting frustrated And finally, when I called the endocrinologist's office one afternoon, they said, yes, we received the results, and the doctor would like you to come in. And at that point, I really knew the news wasn't going to be great, because I figured if it was nothing, he'd probably just tell me over the phone, or they might say, well, we want to speak with you in the office, but don't panic. Um, So I remember going in like after his office hours, and I spent about an hour in the room with the doctor. He first told me um, that they got the results back and I had a diagnosis of papillary thyroid carcinoma. And I remember thinking, well, at least it's not thyroid cancer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, at least I only thought that and I I didn't say that out loud, but I was so struck by the news because I just was kind of sitting there thinking a week or two prior I was almost in tears at the thought of having to take a daily synthetic thyroid hormone replacement and now here I am at 26, feeling healthy, but facing a cancer
0: diagnosis. What happened after that point?
1: I spent an hour with him, like I said, and I don't really remember much of what he said in that hour, Um, but I remember his parting words and they've always stuck with me. When I was leaving his office, he warned me not to make the diagnosis into a research project. I, I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I kind of just assumed you know, don't take forever, make a decision, get your thyroidectomy, uh, which was the recommended surgical option Mm -hmm. scheduled. So I left that day, I remember going home and I was on the phone for hours. I couldn't, I called everybody I could think of, people I hadn't spoken to in years. I just couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't stand like the thoughts in my head. So I just kept talking and talking and talking and, I remember like never really saying I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer or I have thyroid cancer. It was always a curt, it's thyroid cancer, as if it was its own entity and not part of my reality at that time. Mm -hmm. So it it wasn't until I think after I had my surgery and and after I was quote unquote a survivor that I, I was able to say I had thyroid cancer. I just, you know, making it personal with that I was very difficult.
0: I think that's very true you know, accepting or acknowledging the fact that this is happening to you. That takes a lot of strength to do that. Yeah, that was probably
1: the most difficult part. In the days after receiving the news, I definitely had days where I felt very positive and I would get online and, and find research groups and support groups and look at doctors. And then I had days where I felt like maybe this diagnosis isn't accurate. Maybe I should have another biopsy. Maybe I should do nothing.
0: I really had uh, ups and downs with that. What happened after the thyroidectomy? Did you need any additional treatment?
1: I actually, so when I did my thyroidectomy, I um, went to Weill Cornell in New York City. I had an amazing surgeon and team that worked with me. And he removed my, my thyroid and he also removed six lymph nodes on the right side of my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, af- after my surgery, he thought that all the lymph nodes were clean, but when pathology came back, one did test positive for cancer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he kind of gave me the option at that point because I had done very little reading on doing a course of radioactive iodine treatment, which is recommended sometimes after a patient undergoes a total thyroidectomy to destroy any remaining thyroid tissue or cancer cells that are still in the body. And he left me with the option of waiting and, and just seeing how my results were. Because prior to my diagnosis, when they did my blood work, I had very high anti-thyroglobulin levels. Um, mm-hmm. I was also diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune condition. So mm-hmm. we just decided to kind of wait and see. I mean, you, I could have done radioactive iodine at any point, And I felt comfortable with that because at that point, I was ready to just put this chapter behind me. And I, I really didn't want to unnecessarily go through radioactive iodine if I didn't have to. Mm -hmm. So that was the, the plan of action really. I followed up with my surgeon, I believe it was every three months. Then we moved to every six months. Then we moved to one year up until 2016 when my antithyroglobulin levels started to increase again.
0: And what happened at that point?
1: Um, I reached out to the endocrinologist and to my surgeon, and we, I was followed up for a few months just by blood work and neck ultrasounds. And finally, it got to a point where they were creeping up, I guess, significantly enough that I went to see a radiation oncologist. And I ended up going for an I-123 whole body scan, which is a tracer of radioactive iodine to see if there's any, anything that gets picked up in the neck area that could be suspicious. Mm-hmm. My scan looked clean. So I I still, at that point in 2016, did not undergo uh, a full course of radioactive iodine. But my antithyroglobulin levels to this day in 2019 are still elevated.
0: And how often are you being followed up
1: now? I see, I go for blood work every three months and I see my endocrinologist every six months. Um, And one of those appointments is to go for a neck ultrasound, which she does in her office.
0: And do you get any anxiety about those appointments as they come up? I most certainly do.
1: I actually talk a lot about what I call scanxiety, and a lot of other thyroid cancer patients and, and cancer patients in general um, might be familiar with the term, but I do. I get very anxious even just going for blood work now. It was a little bit better in the couple of years after my diagnosis when mm-hmm. everything was status quo, but once the antithyroglobulin levels started increasing, And especially after going through the scan, which didn't show anything and still having elevated levels, I definitely feel anxious. Um,
0: I just went for blood work actually three days ago and it it was a production. How do you cope with the anxiety? Is there anything that you would recommend to others who are going through the same thing? I really found that meditation is very helpful.
1: Um, So I like to use the Calm app, which is just on my iPhone and it gives me a quick, simple 10-minute meditation if I'm feeling anxious. Um, Mm -hmm. I also have like an essential oil that I use from uh, a thyroid, a holistic thyroid guru that I've worked with, Fern Olivia, and I always apply her oil on my neck area and on my wrist, the inside of my wrist, and Mm -hmm. just kind of having that scent with me makes me feel better. So those are the two things that I really recommend and that have helped me. Do you meditate
0: every night or just when you're feeling more anxious?
1: It kind of depends. I did go through a period where I meditated every night and now I just meditate when I'm feeling anxious or if I just need some help going to sleep or if there's something on my mind that I just can't quite get off and I I need something to take my mind off of it.
0: I think that the meditation, it's so beneficial and not a lot of people do it, but it really, and actually has been proven. It's one of the evidence-based things in cancer that we can utilize to help people deal with a lot of the emotional side effects you're having from treatment.
1: Yeah, it's a great way to cope with the diagnosis. And I I started doing meditations when I was diagnosed, actually, because I was having trouble sleeping and I would get really anxious, like making a decision. Um, I went for three consultations before I decided on my surgeon. And that was really when I found meditation helped me and I did it continuously every night
0: let's talk a little bit about, you know, you have the thyroidectomy, you're now considered a survivor. How did your life change after that point? Or did it?
1: My life definitely changed after that. I certainly didn't look at life the same way prior to my diagnosis. I was working in higher education, I wasn't really feeling very fulfilled. I was 26, kind of just, um, you know, finding my next step in my career path. And then after I was diagnosed, I tried to go back to what I had been doing. And I really couldn't because at that point, I just felt that putting Cancer Survivor on my resume was like the only role that I really cared deeply about. And I knew that I wanted to use the resources that helped me During my diagnosis, which one of them was the Thyroid Cancer Survivors Association, FICA, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to share them as a resource. And I just wanted other young, newly diagnosed patients to know, you know, you're not alone. There are people out there that have gone through what you're going through and you do have support. So about six months after my diagnosis and surgery, I decided to start a blog, uh, which is called Living in Style. Mm -hmm. And Really, it's it's not just all about thyroid cancer. It's about um, health and wellness and lifestyle. I wanted it to appeal to millennials who may or may not have had cancer, and it was kind of a way for people to get a window into my life after my di- before my diagnosis, after my diagnosis, and you know what I'm doing now. And it also led me down an entirely new career path. Uh, I started doing social media for the blog, marketing for the blog, so I ended up landing a marketing role within higher education, but I was eventually able to transition. And now I work as a social media and a public relations manager for Pancreatic Cancer Foundation on Long Island. And it is incredibly rewarding. I am so grateful to have this position and and be in this role because I feel that every day I'm able to make a difference and give back to cancer survivors and patients and their loved ones. And it just, it really, it makes me get out of bed every day and I can't I just can't believe how lucky I am to have found that role.
0: That's wonderful. Can you talk a little bit more about what you do specifically in that role uh, for the pancreatic cancer population? Sure. So um,
1: I am actually posting a lot of updates for pancreatic cancer research on all of our social media platforms. And we have 40 walks and more than 300 community events across the United States. So we're constantly working with our walk leaders and working within the pancreatic cancer community to raise awareness and funding for this disease.
0: That's so important because pancreatic cancer, as everyone knows, is very devastating and there are not too many great treatment options. So the more research and funds we can raise for it, are that's so important. Absolutely, yes. Can you give the, our listeners a, a sense of what a day in the life looks like for you? A day in the life is very busy. So um,
1: as I mentioned, I work a full-time job And that is, it's demanding. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts working for the foundation and especially kind of having a dual role with social media and PR. And then I do a lot of work on the blog. And as a blogger, I collaborate with brands. Um, recently, I've just worked with Seed Phytonutrients. I have worked with Humanly, which is a great platform for cancer survivors. They've actually invited me. What is the name, to, name of it? It's called Humanly Our Story, and it's a platform for cancer survivors to be able to share their story in an open and honest and safe space. And you can either upload the, a written document with your story, or you can record yourself telling your story. And it's... An incredible community. I wish it were something that was around when I was diagnosed. It, it definitely would have been very valuable for me, and I'm grateful that I'm able to lend my voice to the platform. I think they're doing amazing work.
0: And it's any cancer. People can post their story. Yep, any cancer. That's really wonderful. There's so many people who say, I wish I knew someone in my exact same situation.
1: Right. Yeah. It's a great platform for that. And, you know, even when I was diagnosed, that was exactly how I felt. I, I, you know, I, my grandmother was at that point, um, she had breast cancer once since then, she's now a two-time breast cancer survivor. But I remember feeling like I wish there was a place where there were other young newly diagnosed patients or survivors that I could speak with just to know that I wasn't alone
0: going through that diagnosis. It's such a different world getting cancer when you're younger than when you're a little bit older. Yeah, it was,
1: you know, it was really scary as, as it is for getting a cancer diagnosis at any age. But um, it was certainly for me, like, it felt like an isolating experience because I had people, I had great people around me and people that wanted to do so much and help me. But I still, at the end of the day, felt like I was kind of wrapping my head around this diagnosis by myself.
0: So what did you do to get that support, right? Your friends, I'm sure, wanted to help and were, of course, very well-meaning, but probably didn't have that experience. So how did you cope with all of that? Yeah, I was very
1: fortunate. I had a great friend, uh, my friend Claudia, who took time off work, and she would come with me. We worked together in my, my first job out of college, and she would take time off and come with me into the city um, to have my consultations. And it was just so comforting knowing that I wasn't going into the city by myself. I wasn't going to sit across from a head and neck surgeon by myself and and have to worry about, you know, did I miss something? And did I ask the right questions? And it was just just having that support made it easier. you know, we would make a day of it. We would go to Shake Shack after for lunch and come back to the islands in the evening. So that was really helpful. And I had another great friend. Uh, We would go out to lunch, go to the East end of Long Island. And it was actually his brother-in-law who was an endocrinologist. And he was the one who recommended that I go with a surgeon that would preventatively remove the lymph nodes in the right side of my neck, and I am indebted to this man forever because without that, you know, I likely would have just had a thyroidectomy, and if they didn't see anything suspicious, they may not have removed those lymph nodes, and I could have needed another surgery down the line, so for that insight, I'm just so grateful.
0: Do you have any advice for newly diagnosed young women who are just trying to navigate this diagnosis? What helped you specifically being so young and being in your 20s?
1: Finding a support group was very helpful. Um, Inspire was one of the communities that I found, and it's a free online resource. You can log in, make a profile, you can talk to other survivors. Again, it's for any cancer. So I found that helpful. Um, For me, particularly with thyroid cancer, I found the Thyroid Cancer Survivors Association beneficial. But I think it's important to just be honest with your feelings and, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days. And like I said, I had days where I was really proactive and I would research all these, these head and neck surgeons and I knew what my next step would be. And then the next day I was like, uh, I think I want to go for another biopsy. I don't think this is right. So I, I think it's important to just be gentle with yourself because you are in this new and unfamiliar territory. But I think finding a support group is really beneficial It's something I probably should have done more in person. I think that could have helped me when I was going through it because like I said I felt very isolated and alone even though I did have people around me. Mm-hmm. so I highly recommend that. Um, I would maybe caution against using Google as a doctor.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes no <laughs> and,
1: doctor Googling. And, Yeah and you know maybe doing a little too much research
0: on your own. Well, I really like that he said to you, "Don't make it a research project." I think that really frames it nicely. Yeah, and and I think his his
1: definition of that it wasn't just like don't go on Google and don't read the horror stories because that's exactly what I did, and it was those horror stories that kept me paralyzed. I had gotten to the point where I was like, I well, I had canceled my first surgery. I was supposed to have surgery in May of 2013, and I was like, nope, can't do it. I, I'm I'm not ready. Like I thought I was going to die in surgery. I read all these stories about people that had Hashimoto's thyroiditis like I had and they had a misdiagnosis and at that point I was convinced like my diagnosis was wrong so I think it's also you know it's kind of twofold like don't use google as your doctor and read crazy stories and then apply it to your own situation but also I was going from doctor to doctor like I was I saw three head and neck surgeons and Mm. I don't know if I was like trying to see if I got a different answer from any of them, which by the way, I did not. They all told me I had papillary thyroid carcinoma and needed a thyroidectomy. Nobody gave me any other information. Um, But yeah, I think it's important to just, you have to make a
0: plan and you have to commit to it. How did you pick the surgeon that you went up going with? Because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. You go for several opinions and let's say you're all being told the same thing, like you were... What made you pick the surgeon you ultimately chose to do your surgery? It was such a difficult
1: decision for me. I didn't even feel qualified to make that decision. Um, I will say I initially thought I would have surgery on Long Island because I figured that would be easier than schlepping back and forth to the city but the first head and neck surgeon I saw I just was not comfortable with his bedside manner mm-hmm. the second head and neck surgeon I saw was at Weill Cornell and I really liked him and he was ultimately the surgeon that I went with and then the third surgeon was also on Long Island and I really liked him too the deciding factor was that little bit of information that I got from my friend's brother-in-law where he he recommended that I go with the surgeon who would prophylactically take out those lymph nodes and that was surgeon number two at Weill Cornell. So that was what made the, the decision for me.
0: And what makes a good bedside manner? For me, it was, I wanted to feel comfortable,
1: you know, not just with where the doctor went to school and did his residency and where he was practicing now, but just the fact that he would sit down and take the time and speak with me. And the surgeon that I I went with, I mean, every time I've gone to see him, I expect a four hour wait. I'm perfectly fine with that because I know that when I do sit down in his office, he's not going to rush me out. He's not going to give me five or 10 minutes. He will sit with me. And talk to me for an hour. I remember when I had the initial consultation, he gave me his email address. And he's like, if there's any questions that come up, feel free to email me. And, you know, it wasn't just working with him, it was also working with the staff. And, you know, if I have questions, I was able to talk to his PA and I was comfortable with the hospital. I knew I would have like an overnight stay and I knew I would be spending a few months, you know, going back and forth. So I wanted to feel comfortable with the whole operation. Mm-hmm. But Overall, I just thought the surgeon was incredibly compassionate. I think he understood my fears and he didn't make me feel like I was being dramatic or, you know, he definitely even from the the start he had said, you know, if you want to take a month or two and think this out, you know, thyroid cancer fortunately is um, it progresses slowly. So he's like, if, if that's what's going to make you feel comfortable, he's like, you can do that. I didn't feel pressured to go and have surgery the next day.
0: I think that is such an important point, because with cancer, you know, so much of it is pressured, right? You don't really have all this time to make a decision. And a lot of people feel like they have no control, they have to decide in the next 24 to 48 hours. And, and they feel rushed to, to make that decision. And from an oncologist's perspective, sometimes I think, we think we're, we're doing something good by saying, okay, let's move as quickly as possible. But that's not actually what people need.
1: Right. When I had left the endocrinologist's office, I did feel like, okay, by tomorrow, I'm going to have a surgeon. And by Monday, I'm going to have a surgery scheduled. And then when I started doing the research on my own, that was when I felt like, wait, wait, maybe there's more things that I need to investigate. And I need to think about this. And I need to think, you know, if I have My surgery in New York City, does that mean I have to do uh, radioactive iodine in New York City? So it was just, there were a lot of moving pieces and parts for me.
0: And how long was that period from when you saw the endocrinologist when you ended up having the surgery about?
1: I was diagnosed in April of 2013, and I was initially scheduled to go for surgery in May, and I went uh, the middle of June of
0: 2013. Okay. Got it. So back to what a day in the life looks like. We didn't finish that.
1: Yes. So aside from it being very busy, um, I'm working full time. I am blogging and I'm also going, I'm enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition as a health coach right now. So I'm doing training classes at night and on the weekends Um, so I'm really excited about that, and I'm looking forward to using the skill set that I developed through there and working with other newly diagnosed patients, survivors. I know for myself, healthy eating hasn't always come easy, and it's hard when you're working so much to, you know, make a home-cooked meal and eat something healthy. It's just, you know, it's easier to stop at Starbucks and pick up a muffin, so I'm working on myself, and I'm also looking forward to taking that knowledge and my transition and helping other people make healthier lifestyle choices. Aside from the day-to-day with work, I definitely enjoy going to wellness events and I love working out. So I always try to make time for a yoga class. I find that really restorative. Um, and I also go for, I go to kickboxing as well.
0: That is amazing. So I, tell me a little bit more about the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So what is that training to become a health coach?
1: So it's an online
0: platform. It's um,
1: They have an online portal that you can actually log in. You take your, your classes. So there's everything is video lectures. They have guest lectures. Dr. Mark Hyman's been on there. Um, and then they also have lectures from people affiliated with the school. And you're basically learning all of these different dietary theories. So there's hundreds of, of dietary theories, and they go through all of them. And it's up to you as the individual to make or decide, you know, which choices might be right for you. They encourage you to experiment with them in your own life. They give you a lot of ways to incorporate healthy cooking tips into your life, um, taking a health history. So I just started the program in May and I will complete the program in May of 2020.
0: It's a one-year program.
1: Yep, so it's a one-year program, all entirely online. The school itself is in New York City. And I had heard about it a few years ago, actually from Fern Olivia, um, the thyroid guru that I referenced earlier, after she invited me to a wellness event. And she had gone through the program. I've met other people that have gone through the program. And I really wanted to take the training for myself and just to expand my own knowledge on nutrition and food. And you know, I think people, you know how to eat healthy, but sometimes you don't always know how to eat healthy. And Mm -hmm. after having cancer, I've definitely been more concerned about processed food and what exactly I'm putting in my body and on my body with makeup and skincare products. So I just thought this would give me a really nice um, overarching
0: background on on health and wellness and nutrition. That's fantastic. Can you share your top three tips for wellness and healthy living?
1: Sure, well tip number one is drink a lot of water.
0: Yes, um, I've,
1: I've noticed people really don't do that. And for me, that's I enjoy water. So um, I definitely drink a lot during the day. Um, always make time for self care. That's something I know it's hard when everybody is so busy. But Self-care can look so different to everybody. I mean, for myself, it's time at a beach. It's going to yoga. It's doing a meditation. It's getting a manicure. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, like you take a trip to Europe. It's just time that you're carving out that's on your calendar, and you're making yourself a priority. You are making that time, and just like you schedule a meeting or you see patients, you take that time to kind of check in with yourself. And Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like I need multiple appointments during the week to have my self-care check-ins, and I take that. I, I think that's very important for me to be a productive person, for me to um, you know, be good at work. I'm also a caregiver. My grandmother is now 91 years old, so you know, it's really important that sometimes I might have to say no to obligations, but it's like I have to just take that time for myself because I am also an obligation and a priority.
0: Yeah, if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't possibly do a good job of taking care of others.
1: Exactly. So you know, it's it's important, and part of that too is is making time for exercise. It's definitely I feel like everybody's sitting a lot during the day. You're on your computer, you're on your phone. You know, just find a little bit of time to get out and get moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and my third tip is just take an active interest in what you're putting into your body and what you're using on your body. You don't have to overhaul everything, but just to be mindful about how you're eating and how does that make you feel and what are you using on your skin is that making you break out what ingredients are in it you know it's even the the little things are really important and that's something I've become more mindful of as a cancer survivor
0: so when you're talking about are you talking about makeup and beauty products
1: Yeah, um, specifically makeup and beauty products. As women, we put a lot of products on our faces and on our bodies with sunscreen and lotions, and it's just important to kind of look at the ingredients and where and when you can use clean ingredients, um, and also just what you're putting into your body.
0: So if someone listening were to say, okay, I don't even know where to start, where do people go to get that information, and then what kind of – how – And, you know, it's hard to do a complete overhaul. Are there any products that you would recommend starting with first?
1: For myself, I've struggled with acne-prone skin and very sensitive skin. Um, As I've gotten older, my skin has thankfully cleared up. But I have found some really great organic and natural foundations. Um, Vapor Beauty is one of my favorites. And recently I collaborated with seed phytonutrients and they make incredible products that are sustainable. Um, they're, they're sourced by local farmers. Everything has natural ingredients. It smells amazing. So they sent me some of their shampoo, their conditioner, their body lotion. So I do look for brands that are sustainable and are committed to putting in good products and also being good for the environment as well. So for me, that's my recommendation. Um, in terms of food, obviously, shop the outside Mm -hmm. perimeter of your grocery store. Mm -hmm. And if you can't pronounce it, you probably shouldn't eat it.
0: I think that is a great kind of, it sums it up, right? If it's got a bajillion ingredients in it, it is not good for you. Exactly. And I say this knowing full well that, you
1: know, I did go to Starbucks this morning, so I'm in no way, shape, or form perfect. And I know it is hard when you, you know, you have all these other commitments to make those, those things priorities, but you know, little things help. So one small thing.
0: And that is really true because it doesn't mean to be healthy. Doesn't mean you can't, it has to be perfect hundred percent of the time.
1: Right. And you know what? You're allowed cheap meals. You're allowed to have the cheeseburger. So it's just, it's just being more mindful. I think that's really the takeaway. It's not saying you have to completely overhaul what's in your kitchen or deprive yourself. It's just making a conscious effort to, um, you know, maybe find the bag of chips that has less sodium.
0: Yeah. Anything is better than nothing. Exactly. As a health coach, what will you be doing? So as a health coach, I would love to work with clients,
1: um, likely on a part-time basis. And of course, I would love to also meet with them face-to-face, but some of it might be virtual. So in terms of the business plan right now, I'm not sure what that's uh, really going to look like. I will certainly be blogging more about, you know, the healthy tips that I incorporate into my own life so that I can help educate the community that I've already built up through the blog. Mm -hmm. But I would also love to work with people that have thyroid disease or issues, because I know personally, one of of the things that has frustrated me has just been seeing doctors and like they've never asked about diet or nutrition. Um, I know when I take my grandmother to see her oncologist, like they never ask about like, well, what are you eating? How do you feel? And I just think that's a really important part, especially for a cancer patient or a survivor. So that's something that I do feel is lacking. And I think that's where a health coach can really be beneficial.
0: You're absolutely right. We know more and more that environment and the food and anything that we put in our body, that makes such a difference, but we don't ask about it as nearly as much as we should. Big thing that everyone wants to know is supplements. Yes. Anything that you take uh, for yourself that you want to share with us. Honestly, that's something
1: that I really do want to work on. And I'm hoping that going through IIN helps me. There are definitely some supplements that I've heard great things about. I know people that take them and I've wanted to incorporate them in my own life. But I do feel that there's a lot of confusion around what should you be taking? How should you be taking them? You know, and unfortunately, it's not like when you see your primary care that they're running this blood work and it's going to tell you everything you're deficient in. Um, so I will be working more with a functional medicine doctor and I'm looking forward to that because I think there are ways that supplements can benefit me, but mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm taking the appropriate ones
0: and ones that my body can absorb. That's a great strategy. How do you feel on the thyroid medication? To be
1: completely honest, I have never really felt that great. Um, taking mm-hmm. synthroid. My doses has pretty much stayed the same. I was on 88 micrograms when I was initially diagnosed with a subclinical hypothyroidism. So I still had my thyroid but it wasn't functioning properly. Mm-hmm. And then after my surgery I was bumped up to a hundred. So I've never I mean I haven't felt terrible on it, but I haven't I haven't really felt like it's Given me more energy, or I don't know, I just from day to day I kind of feel a little sluggish and lethargic. So, again, hopefully, seeing a functional medicine doctor and maybe incorporating some supplements might help. Okay, well,
0: best of luck with that. Thank you. So, just before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't really addressed?
1: Yes, I'm actually, I can't believe I haven't mentioned it yet. I'm working on a fun, um, project. You actually had Markina Alev paseli on your podcast, and she spearheaded a book called Tough Women Who Survived Cancer, which will be out in early September. And I have a chapter in the book as a thyroid cancer survivor, and I'm so excited to be a part of this project. Marquina has just shown so much love to it, and I'm really gl- glad that she's Rounds it up these incredible survivors um, that have just, they have beautiful stories, stories of hope and struggle and how they've overcome so many things and what they're doing now. And I can't wait to to read the book cover to cover because I think it's going to be incredibly helpful um, for anybody that reads it, especially, you know, somebody that has been touched by cancer. So that book will be out in September. And Marquina is also, we're going to be doing, starting on Monday, August 5th, we'll be doing the Share Triumph virtual conference and that's going to go from August 5th to August 15th and I'm going to be featured on Wednesday, August 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern time.
0: I am marking that down right now. Um, So I love Markina and I'm really excited for her book as well as the Share Triumph uh, virtual conference. I've signed up and I think just what she's doing is it's very unique, uh, especially with the virtual conference and really cool and I think it's just so accessible to so many people.
1: Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I've seen some preliminary chapters of the book, and it's amazing. I can't, I really can't wait to see the finished product and just hold it in my hands and have it because it's, you know, for me personally, it's been a labor of love. I had written my story about six years ago, and when Marquina invited me to to be part of the project. I ended up kind of rewriting my story again, and my perspective had just shifted so much over those years, I really couldn't use the same draft. So it was great to kind of rewrite my story with fresh eyes, and I'm excited to share details that I actually didn't have in my initial uh, posts about it. So that's, I think it'll be great.
0: I can't wait to read it. And so my last question is, how did your perspective change?
1: I think going through a cancer diagnosis um, made me realize, it really drove home the point that I have to take every day for granted, you know, for uh, not for granted and to uh, really make use of every single day. I think prior to my diagnosis, I was kind of, kind of just floating and and trying to figure out the career, but didn't really know which way to go. And the cancer diagnosis just made me see things so much clearer. And it it made me a more positive person. I think a more optimistic person. And it just kind of drove home the point of, utilizing my time productively and I wanted to make a difference after that I felt like for some reason I was this happened and I wanted to make sense of it and I also wanted it to be a learning experience for myself and also find ways that I could help others and it has come full circle for me I mean landing in this position doing social and PR for a cancer foundation I definitely feel like I am using you know my gifts and my resources to help other patients go to go through a really difficult time.
0: What you are doing is amazing. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you so much. I'm really glad
1: to be here and to share my story on your platform with your listeners. And they're going to love it. Where can they find you online? So they can find me on the blog at livinginstyle.com. That's style spelled S-T-E-I-L. And also on social, on Twitter and Instagram, at livinginstyle. Fantastic. Anything else that you want to add? I think we covered it. Again, thank you so much. I think the podcast that you're doing is incredible. I've been tuning in and following along, and I love hearing all of your survivor stories. And, and thank you for the work that you do as an oncologist. It's, it's really important work, so... Thank you for all that.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. What Vanessa is doing is so incredible. And I really enjoyed hearing how she is making healthy living a priority in her life and how she is making that the center of what she's focusing on. Definitely check out her story in the tough book that is coming out in just a couple of weeks. And I'll be posting that information on the show notes. As always, you can find me on social media at Dr. Toplinski on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as all the episodes on www.interludecancerstories.com. If you have a minute, please take some time to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts as that is the best way to help me grow the show and continue to bring it to a wider audience. Thanks again for listening, and I will see all of you next week.